The Gestalt Gardener podcast is brought to you by Varicosity Vein Center, providing health assessment screenings and compassionate care to improve your vascular functionality and quality of life. Our doctors and vein specialists offer solutions to painful varicose veins, spider veins, and other venous diseases to our patients. Now offering complimentary vein screenings in Jackson, Madison, and Ridgeland. Information and appointment scheduling at varicosityveincenter.com. Good morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning outside? Hey, y'all. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing, and for the next hour or so, we're going to get dirty. Gestalt Gardner is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and my awesome producer, Java Chapman, and I are going to have fun. Going to give a special shout out to folks listening by way of podcasts from all over the country, but it's a southern thing. We're going to be talking about gardening in the south. It's a live program, folks. Got some really cheesy music coming up that to sort of break things up in about 30 minutes, but again, it's live. So give us a call. We'll give the number several times, and for the next hour or so, it's just you and me and everybody listening and talking about what's going on or not in our garden. Sit back, folks. We can do a little bit of news and come back and get dirty. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's Felder Rushing. And aren't you loving this kind of cool weather? I mean, when I say kind of cool, it's June and it could be a lot hotter. Uh, supposed to start raining maybe this weekend, late this weekend, early next week. So I think this would be a great time to get out. And if you don't really like feel like planting anything, there's a couple of other things you can do that won't be too taxing. One is to dig a hole. Just dig a hole someplace where you think you might want to plant someplace. Turn the dirt over, chop up the big pieces, spread some compost or manure or organic matter, cheap potting soil. Just spread something over there, dig it in once, cover it with mulch, and you are done till you get ready to plant something later. It'll be inspired, you know, when it does ever start raining again. A couple of other things you can do this week is, uh, is a little bit of weeding. If you stay ahead of them, uh, as the old adage goes, it's better to hoe twice than once. If you'll pull a few weeds while they're still kind of small, or maybe get a sharp hoe, an old-fashioned hoe, sharpen the blade. That's what those flat-bladed files are for. And just like shaving, if you'll just put the hoe on top of the ground and scrape it and just slice the weeds off, that'll get rid of most of them. Then cover it with mulch, and you'll be way ahead of time a month from now when you wish you'd done that. Uh, A couple of other things we can be doing right now, and I'm going to talk about those in just a few minutes, but um, I just want to mention it's also a good time to prune your figs, blueberries, other things like that. Uh, Again, we'll get into that a little bit more, but first I want to do what we're really here for, and that's to chat with folks about gardening. I do hope you give us a call. It's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. Let's start out uh, way on up north in Horn Lake. Hey, David, good morning. Uh, Good morning to you, too. What's going on? I got a couple of spots in my yard. One of them, there's, um, I let the wildflower spider wart took over. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's gotten real big and aggressive. I plan on taking it out anyway. It gets a lot of sun. And I got another spot that's uh, that's a lot of shade. I'm interested in putting me some edible plants. I want some plants that I can eat on. And I've got a yeah. couple of places where the old poke side is growing. I'm yeah. going to let it grow. I, I, my grandma used to cook poke salad. 
So uh, can you give me yeah. some tips on some plants, some edible plants and edible herbs that I can put in there? Well, sure. You're talking about in, in both areas or the shady areas? Yeah, uh-huh, both areas. Yeah. Uh, well, there's, yeah. First of all, let me throw this out. Your grandmother ate the first few leaves that came up on the folk salad. After it gets about knee high, it gets poisonous. So you, you only eat the first flush of leaves in the spring, and that's it. So just want to warn you about that. Uh, as far as other things, gosh, you know, it really depends on if you want to do things you have to plant every year, like, you know, peppers and tomatoes and things like that. Or if you want to put out a few fruit plants, like a, a fig tree, maybe some blueberries, some muscadines for fall. You know, those a lot of different fruit plants make attractive landscape plants, too, whether they're shrubs or vines or small trees. So there's lots of stuff there. And I even have a list I can send you of some of the best types of fruit and the best varieties of each, which is as important as the type is what varieties you plant. Uh, so, you know, there, there's that. And, and, and I mean, there's, I wrote a whole book called, called Growing Fruits, Vegetables, and Herbs in Mississippi. So we can't talk that much about it. But let me throw this out. In the shade, you're, you're a little bit more limited because most of the things that have nice flowers or nice fruits need energy from the sun. So you're better off there thinking about planting stuff in the fall and winter where there's more sunshine when the trees drop their leaves. I'm thinking about uh, any kind of leafy green. You can grow all sorts of stuff in the winter uh, that, that's, that's cold tolerant because you get more sunshine. But in general, the plants that you, that you eat the, the leaves or the roots of uh, don't need as much energy as the ones that you eat the berries or fruits from. So just in general, we're thinking about leafy type things in the in in the shady areas. Uh, you know, maybe some of the the native blueberries that which will do okay in light shade, but you're really better off sticking as close to the sun as you can. Okay. Now there, there's a whole lot of stuff I could talk about. Like I say, a whole book you could probably get it for a dollar on Amazon because growing fruits, nuts, and and uh, uh, fruits, vegetables, and herbs in Mississippi. Okay. And uh, so, and that'll help. Also, the Extension Service has a good publication on vegetable gardening, but it takes a lot of time to slog through it. So, to me, it'd be a whole lot better, David, if you could just shoot me an email and, and let me just scratch out a few things when I got a little bit more time than, than just yakking about it. Okay. Sounds good. Be glad. Be, be, be glad to help, though. I think it'd be a lot of fun. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. You bet. Thank you. Alrighty, folks. Toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. Uh, Dave is wanting to grow vegetables and fruits and leaves and roots and stuff like that. We can grow a lot of stuff, but don't forget that wintertime, uh, late fall, wintertime, early spring, you can grow a whole lot of things in areas that are summer shaded but winter sunny. Let's slide down to Natchez. Good morning, Wade. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Felder. How are you? Good, good. Doing pretty good. What's going on today? I have got a weed. It's almost looks like kind of almost like a ground cover that has taken uh-huh. over sections of my uh, areas where I'm replanting roses. It's this old home I live in was my wife's grandmother's home, built uh-huh. back in the late 1800s. And and a, a little while ago, I had a guy doing some weeding for me, brought some pine straw. And the very next year, this weed is literally overtaking my areas of my gardens and starting to evade my yard. I have St. Augustine. Huh. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is. I've tried to kill it. I've pulled it. I've sprayed it with uh, uh, Roundup and different things like that, and it keeps coming back. And stronger huh. every time. 
Well, the first thing to do is if you could take a good, clear, close-up picture of it, shoot it to me, you know, we can put a specific name on it. If it's got some unusual thing about how it grows, some, some weeds are easier to kill in the fall than in the spring or summer, for example. So it really right. depends on what it is. Uh, you know, the weed killers typically work on plants that are young and actively growing. You know, so mm-hmm. once they get big and all, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard. But I really need to find out what it is. It could also be coming back from seeds, uh, which means you can kill all of them out there, but you're going to have to eventually, you know, peter out the seeds, which right. means keeping the, the, the big ones from getting big enough to, to, to make more seeds until the seeds peter out. And there's a bunch of those kind of things. So really, mm-hmm. we need to find out what the weed is for sure. Anyway, you could shoot me a, a, a picture of it. We could be a whole lot easier. Uh, meanwhile, again, it's mostly a matter of just keep cutting, keep pulling, uh, and, and hope that you peter it out. That that's right. that's what I end up doing with most of mine. It's not any fun, but it works. Yeah, thank you. Okay, let's let's put a name on it, and then we can get a lot smarter about it. All right, thank you, Felder. Okay, Wade, appreciate it. All righty, folks, you want to give us a call? It's toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. Uh, I mentioned earlier, if you if you want to uh, control weeds, do it early, do it often. It's not nearly as hard if you stay on top of it. Once the weeds get big, I let I, I, I neglected mine one summer, and some of the vines of perennial morning glory were so bad that I spent most of a day on my hands and knees pulling vines and, and, and filling the tarpaulin up and dumping them over behind the fence. Uh, but this year, when I, when they first came up, I pulled them before they got big, and it was so much easier. It just took a few minutes. So if you can stay ahead of it, and again, not just pulling, uh, not just spraying, but even just slicing with a sharp hoe. You don't have to chop. If you'll just slice and then cover the area with mulch, that'll keep the, the those that come back from seed from sprouting. And the ones that come back as perennials, uh, you're going to need to pull until you peter them out or possibly even use uh, uh, a weed killer. And uh, trust me on this, there's not very many weed killers that are that are all around good or entirely safe that everybody likes. But if you need some help with that, I'll be glad to, to recommend stuff. What I do, for the most part, is pull and chop. And if you stay on top of it, sort of like shaving. Don't wait till you got a big old beard before you try to cut it off. Stick with it every three or two or three or four days. Not nearly as bad. Hey, give us a call. We got the lines wide open. Toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. Would like to mention that next week's newspaper column of mine, which appears in dozens of daily and local papers perhaps even in your own hometown, is going to be about fences and all the different ways that you can try to keep critters out of your garden. You know, deterrence and repellents. I've mentioned probably a dozen or a dozen and a half different approaches people use that simply don't work, or they don't work for everybody, or they don't work for long. Uh, but I did mention several different ways to fence or screen or net uh, critters out of your garden, every, every, from from deer down to everything basically but squirrels and your neighbor's cat. We can try to find ways to keep it out. Um, I do appreciate how, how members of the Mississippi Press Association newspapers uh, run my weekly, weekly columns. They're somewhat um, informative, but usually some little stories thrown in there. Uh, what i also like to mention that I have, have uh, just got a contract, and this is something I could use all of y'all to help with. And, and folks who are listening by podcast who aren't from the South, y'all is plural for you all, but all y'all means everybody. And I could use help. 
I just got a contract from our own University Press of Mississippi, famous for books that interpret the South and its culture to the nation around the world, to wrap up a new book featuring the late, great Leon Goldsberry, the beloved Dr. Dirt, who co-hosted this program several years. It'll be about Dr. Dirt, other diggers, the determined independent gardeners, and our plants. So if you've got stories of plants you may have gotten from dirt, shoot me an email about it. Email is real easy. It's garden at mpbonline.org, garden at mpbonline.org. I'm looking for, for anecdotes or types of plants you may have gotten from a guy named Dr. Dirt. And if you want a little bit more information on him, go to my blog, felderrushing.blog, and click on Dr. Dirt's Legacy, and you'll have pictures and all sorts of stuff and ways you can get in touch. Anyway, we're going to take a real quick break. I'm Horticulture's Felder Rushing. Uh, you're listening to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We're part of the National Public Radio System, and we love our supporters giving us help. One of the ways that... Um, I got the help is a fellow from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I heard about his cat who's got attitude. And we got a tune coming up in about, oh, 15 minutes or so by Spunk Kitty. I think you're going to really like him. Anyway, give us a call. It's toll-free 1-877-MPB-RING. Shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. But me and Java are going to take a real quick break and come back with more of this garden party right after this. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. All righty, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's fellow rushing. We'd like to remind folks who grow fruit plants or, or any kind of spring flowers, azaleas, blueberries, figs, anything that blooms in the spring or has early summer fruit, it's a good. We're still a month or so away from the last call for pruning, but uh, it's, it's really good to prune spring blooming things as soon as you can when they get through blooming up until about. Oh, mid, early to mid-July, so they have time for the new growth to come out and mature and set flower buds for the next spring. If you've got figs and they're going to be a little bit hard to pick or you can't reach all those blueberries, as soon as you get through picking, cut them down, let them sprout back out, tip, tip prune the new growth by around the 1st of September or so, and it'll be nice and bushy with a lot more flowers and berries and fruits next year. Hey, we're going to slide up to Memphis and talk with Veronica. Good morning, lady. How are you? Hey, Felder. Love your show. Um, Thank my you. question's about uh, gall balls, you know. Um, mm-hmm. My front yard has two really big oak trees, and my husband always picks them all up. But I'm wondering if it would be bad for the yard to just leave them, and also if it would be possible just to grow moss leaving them, or if that's bad, because grass doesn't want to grow under the shade anyway. No, it's it's really hard to grow grass in shade. People who have grass in the shade sometimes don't appreciate that you can keep it alive. But once it's gone, no matter how well it grew or no matter why it died, once it's gone in the shade, it's pretty well gone for good, unless you live on the Gulf Coast or, or further. Um, anyway, to answer, are these those big, knotty, woody galls that break off the of twigs? Yes, a whole lot of yeah. them, and they get really yeah. big. 
Yeah. Uh, coincidentally, when I was studying horticulture way back when, I learned to identify certain kind of oaks by the type of galls they had. This is caused by insects that lay eggs in the twigs, and then that, that, that woody growth grows around it. And there's really not any way to prevent it. So to answer your question, uh, doesn't matter to the tree. It's just chunks of wood on the ground. So it doesn't matter whether you leave them or not unless you're trying to mow something. Uh, so that's just a matter of cosmetics. But as far as growing moss, that's a really good alternative that a lot of people are going to, sometimes by default, because I don't have much choice, but sometimes deliberately growing moss in a shady area. If your dirt is good and compacted and shady, you got a good chance of growing moss. It helps if it's acidic, but uh, any kind of shady, compacted area is a really good candidate for moss. And to just get a few pieces started, but one thing I would recommend, Veronica, is put something out there, a little hard feature like a bench or a bird bath or a little collection of gnomes or something to look at as the moss grows that interprets the area for your neighbor. Give you something to focus on instead of just tree trunk and flat part moss. So, you know, give you something, <laughs> yeah. give you, give you something to take your mind. It's sort of like putting a, a real nice, you know, you got a plain dress, you put a real pretty brooch on or you got a really pretty dress you use a plain bruise but something to sort of break up the 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 vertical and horizontal patterns gotcha thank you felder if you need some more information there's uh there's uh, there's also some really good shade plants more throw this out there's a couple of garden centers in and around memphis that specialize in really good shade plants shoot me an email and i'll put you in touch with some of them all right thank you okay veronica thanks for your call Again, we are toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. Let's go to Ridgeland, which is in central Mississippi. Good morning, John. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? Good, good, good. So, well, I have a head-scratcher head for you this morning. I want you to listen carefully because it's probably not what you think I'm asking. What I want to know is what is the advantage to the plant for having vitamins and minerals, et cetera, in the leaves? For example, there's a huge difference between the vitamin content of a beet green, for example, and the iceberg lettuce. So the plant's obviously not eating these minerals. What is the advantage to the plant for storing these um, this content in its leaves? Boy, that is a really good question. It's, it's a, a mid-deep plant physiology question, and it's well, been that's 40 years since. <laughs> that's why I asked no. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, but at the same time, though, that's the kind of thing I've, I've turned as such a generalist. I, I can't tell you, all I can do is theorize off the top of my head, but I will say this plants don't do it because it's advantageous to anything but them. You know, we just typically, you know, we, we found plants that are more nutritious for us to eat, but the plants use all these different colors. Uh, the the, uh, the the hormones the the enzymes all these kind of things are done basically they've been worked out for the same reason why dogs and cats have tails you know and frogs don't you know so there's reasons why these worked out for the benefit of helping the plants grow but as far as the benefit to the plants I'm just gonna say general specialized slash plant growth can't answer more. I'd love to scratch my head, though, if you shoot me an email. There's an online group called Quora, Q-U-O-R-A. I don't know if you've uh, yeah, heard of that. I was going to try them next. That's a classic place to answer that kind of question because you get people, and I answer questions on there because I have time to scratch my head and think, but you get a lot of really classic, wow, never thought of that type of questions on Quora. 
But anyway, shoot me an email or I'll see it on Quora. How about that? We'll, and we'll learn together. All right. Sounds good. Oh, I want to ask you something. Do you already know the answer and just trying to stump me or what? Because well, what do you I have, think? I have theories. You know, my number one theory would be that um, in order for the plant to get, in, in other words, it's kind of a, in order to get A, you have to get B. So, for example, let's say the plant wants, um, um, wants um, resistance against the cold. So it has to lower its freezing temperature. In order to do that, it's got to have more salt. Pota- you know? Yeah, or potassium. That's right. Right. So something like that. You know, those are the kind of those are the kind of theories that I would have. Unfortunately, I don't know that much about plants to know how they get their certain characteristics. Yeah, um, and, but, and some of us, but some some plants don't grow very well at all because they can't get the correct form of nutrients from the, from the soil where they're in, you know, growing between a rock and a hard place. I studied that plant physiology, and I, but I don't even hear that book anymore. Anyway, I, let's, let's scratch your heads on this. This is the kind of stuff that keeps the ennui at bay. Well, <clears throat> you got to keep moving, otherwise uh, it's easier for the vultures to land, right? Yep, something about the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, entropy yep. happens. Anyway, exactly. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> let's have All some right. fun with this. All right, happy Friday. Okay. All righty. Thank you, Sir John. Okay, folks. Um, I didn't get stumped, but my textbook did. And I've got some head scratching to do. Anyway, let's go up to Enid. Hey, Jeanette. Good morning. Good morning. How are uh, you? What's going on? Well, I'm sitting on this beautiful Enid Lake in Enid uh, at the Corps of Engineers. And uh, we're here for the entire summer. So I had uh, gotten, I want to do the tomato plants, in which I have done tomato plants. I've got two tomato plants in only a two-quart um, bucket. And the reason for only the two-quart is because we have to move every 28 days to another site. <laughs> so I, had yeah. to, I was trying to do something that I could maintain and carry when we moved. And right. Uh, right now the tomato plants have tomatoes on them, and they're probably about three feet high. Am I going to be able to to have any uh, tomatoes significant uh, in a, such a small container? Uh, you you can't. You, and, and by the way, I'm going to be a guest uh, this coming Monday morning at nine o'clock on an MPB program called Deep South Dining, and we're going to be talking about growing tomatoes because that's going to be yeah. their theme that day. Uh, but a couple of things. First of all, there's different types of tomato, not just different varieties, but there's bush type and vine type. And the mm-hmm. bush type are more compact. They produce a lot more in a small area. They don't live all summer like vine types. But yeah. you can plant these bush types every, oh, three or four weeks. And always once they start harvesting, you will always have some coming along or even root them. So the variety that you plant in a container is more important. There's also some really terrific little small, compact, heavy-producing patio type tomatoes i see them at every flower show i go to they're just loaded with with tomatoes and the plant is only a foot and a half tall loaded with tomatoes so that you know try that but to answer your question i have a hard time growing tomatoes in smaller than a four or five gallon bucket because you got to water so much but uh, yeah i have to water every day well try this instead of watering every day water twice every other day Oh, okay. And it really put the water in, come back a few minutes later, water a second time, and it soaks in really well. And the okay. plants will have deeper roots, and they can go. It's, it's actually better for them to have to stretch a little bit. So a couple of soakings of an hours, a few minutes, an hour or so apart every other yep. day. 
Now, here's the other problem, Jeanette. Because you're watering a lot, that washes fertilizer away. So you're going to need to either use one of those slow-release little fertilizer beads or else yes. every, I'm going to say every seventh or eighth watering or every week and two weeks or so, add a little bit of liquid fertilizer to your water because that does wash the nutrients out. So okay. different type of different type of tomatoes, Watering better, not more often, and a little okay. more often fertilizer. That's gonna that's gonna work. All right. Well, that sounds great. If this thing works for me, I'm calling you up to come down and have a tomato sandwich. How about that? Oh, I will do that. And, and by the way, there's some <laughs> other plants that produce well in a container that are, are a little bit easier. Uh, peppers come to mind. So don't feel like you got to just grow those red bags of water we call tomatoes. Think about growing peppers too. And, okay. uh, and if nothing else, some culinary herbs, a little basil plant or something like that. Well, that sounds wonderful. Well, you've give, given me some great advice, and I appreciate it so much. I saw you and enjoyed your your uh, uh, speech one time when you came to Gulf Shores, Alabama. That's where I'm from, and we well, really did enjoy it. Well, I appreciate that. So anyway, shoot me an email anytime. I'd be glad to help. Okay, thank you. Okay, Jeanette, thank you. All righty, let's go down to Mobile, Alabama. I mean, we're t- we've gone from all- Tennessee down to-, to the Gulf Coast. Hey, Barbara, good morning. Good morning. What's up? I have a crepe myrtle forest trying to grow in my backyard. I just have one crepe myrtle tree, and um, I try to pull them up, and I realize they're kind of shooting up from the root. Yep, yep. What do I do? Cut them? Uh just cut them. That's all you can do. Once they start, once crepe myrtles and other suckering type plants start sending up, uh, suckers up from the roots, mm-hmm. then they're they're like little stems. And all you can do is just keep cutting them off, like pruning a shrub real close to the ground. If you cut them too close, uh, you you might introduce a some some dirt, some disease into the roots themselves. So, you know, if you could just simply mow them every now and then, that'll help a lot. Yeah, that's okay. about all we can do. Keep Nothing else practical about it. But they will keep popping back up. Just stay on them. Yep, yep. That's okay. about it. Sorry, it's sort of like it's, it's like hairs on hair. It's like hair on my chin. I scrape them off and they keep coming back. Okay, thanks, okay. <laughs> Appreciate it, Barbara. And before we go to this next call, let me mention that uh, there's a couple of things going on this weekend. Some of you might be interested in. Uh, the w- one is that, that the uh, and it's coincidental because next week. Is going to be national. It's pollinate National Pollinator Week, a uh, uh, program done by the uh, National Wildlife Federation. But the Crosby Arboretum in Picayune is having a clearance sale on native pollinator plants, hardy native perennials that 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 butter, butterflies and hummingbirds just love. I mean, they 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 just flock to them. Anyway, it's going to be Saturday from 10 to 2. Uh, and a lot of them come from the, the swamp environment, like blue iris and hibiscus and cardinal flowers. Anyway, the sale's going to be at the Arboretum's greenhouse. Just come through the Arboretum's clearly marked service entrance. Uh, that's down, uh, just uh, back behind the Walmart and Picayune and Crosby Arboretum. Uh, if you'd like more information on pollinators and, and plants that are suitable specific to our area or any part of the country, there's a clickable map uh, at the National Wildlife Federation's website. It's nwf.org. Now let's go to Clinton and talk to Norman. Hey, Norman, how are you, sir? Good morning. I'm fine. How are you? Good, good, good. What's up? I have grown uh, a variety of screen beans for the last 30 years in my raised bed gardens and I, I try to move them around 
And this year I decided to grow Kentucky Wonders and con- Contender Bush Beans. They've right. always done well. Uh, my Kentucky Wonders came up great. I've got them trained up to, to canes, and uh, they have the most luxurious growth, but no bloom. They yeah. have no beans. And I'm just wondering... Did I put water on at the wrong time and just they just got a flush of greenery? What what yeah. did I do wrong? Well, it's not maybe maybe not something you did wrong, but and 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 I'm speaking in generalities here. In general, if beans or peas or other legumes are in too rich a soil or the growing conditions are too good, they're going to grow green. And if they even make flowers, they'll shed, sometimes even the small beans. Most of the time it's because a little bit too much fertilizer. Sometimes it's because it's been too cool and wet. And we've had an unusually cool and wet spring. It's just now getting hot. So what I would suggest is hold back on the fertilizer. And these things are native to to fairly arid areas. Let them get tongue-wagging dry before you soak them. And just hope that okay. we don't get too much run, too much fertilizer, too much water, and cool temperatures are the, are the leading causes. Sounds good to me. Thank you. I think they can grow out of it, too. Oh, okay. So, anyway, good good luck on it, Norman. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Bye. All righty, folks. Today's tune is named Dumpster Spunk Meowing at the Half Moon. It's from Timothy Price of Albuquerque, New Mexico. His cat's name is Spunk Kitty. Like my late great Spaniel Rusty, he'll howl enthusiastic with a little bit of encouragement. Anyway, you can find Timothy's. I'll tell you where you can find more information about that later. But when we come back from uh, for this little bit of uh, of news, we're going to get dirty with more gardening stuff. But meanwhile, sit back, enjoy a little bit of, of uh, Spunky Kitty's version of meowing at the half moon from Timothy Price of Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing. Me and Java Chapman. And all the other good folks at uh, MPB are going to come right back and talk with you about gardening. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back out of this little bit of of, an attitude break, I guess is what we'll call it. Take it away, Spunk Kitty. Okay, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's Felder Rushing. The cat's tail is not being stepped on. That was uh, Timothy Price. Uh, he's from 
uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and his cat, Spunk Kitty, will howl almost on demand. Anyway, if you'd like to see more about that, go to, uh, to Tim's wonderful photography website. He's called offcenternoteven.com. Hey, they even got a picture of Spunk Kitty himself looking, uh, not amused, but again, offcenternoteven.com. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing, and I would like to apologize for cat lovers about that because you know, most of you think the cats just sit around purring, but not Spunk Kitty. Anyway, if you want to give us a call, it's toll-free 1-877-MPB-RING. We've got plenty of stuff we can talk about if you want to, uh, if you got gardening on your mind. And uh, this time of year, we're coming up on uh, springtime. Springtime's coming up uh, a week from now. You know, it's, uh, excuse me, the end of spring. We're coming up on summertime uh, with uh, Father's Day coming up and all that. So there's plenty of things we can be doing. We have a long season here in the Deep South. We can grow a complete garden from spring to midsummer and a separate, complete start-to-finish garden from summer to fall. So don't think, feel like you've got to keep those same plants alive all summer long because you don't. Uh, this might be a good uh, week when it's not quite so hot out there, not quite as humid, uh, to go out and do a little digging and think about starting some stuff for later in the summer. And into the fall. So don't feel like you got to just be like a farmer and plant just once a year because you don't. Uh, hey, I mentioned that there's some things going on. I have uh, just agreed to, uh, to, to give another program at the Max in Meridian this fall. We're thinking about doing it on wacky container gardening. Hadn't set that up. Also just uh, agreed to talk to another garden club talk this fall to the combined Bell, Fleur, and Northwood Garden Clubs. In Columbus, you know, I present a lot of custom-crafted programs at libraries and master gardening groups and other groups and uh, uh, that sort of stuff. So, anyway, if you know some things that are going on that I can help you promote, shoot me an email. It's real easy. Garden at mpbonline.org. Now, one of the emails I got uh, not too long ago is kind of interesting, and it's right up my line. Uh, this is from Jane Morgan. She said uh, she has a dogwood that's struck by lightning and is dead. She said, I'd like to turn it into a bottle tree. Where'd you get the stakes that you drove in the trees to hold the bottles? Want to make sure the bottles are secure and don't blow off in a storm. Uh, well, I had written back to Jane, if you'll just cut the branches back to about the size of your finger and just slip bottles over, as long as they're sturdy enough to where the bottles don't bend over and collect water, they'll do fine. Uh, but what I did to my big cedar tree was I drilled holes in them uh, straight into the, the cutoff limbs, and I stuck some pieces of rebar. You can get pieces of rebar a foot or so long at, at uh, most of these uh, box stores, or some big nails, and just stuck them on there. But again, do it in an angle so they don't collect water. Um, I've got what I believe, and I hope I'm wrong, because I want somebody else to outdo me. It's not a competition. It's a, it's a fun thing. I think I've got the tallest bottle tree in in Mississippi. There's a taller one at the uh, Huntsville Botanical Garden. I think it's around 22 or 24 feet tall, uh, but mine's just over 17 feet tall from a cedar tree that uh, was supposed to cut down, but we just cut the branches back, stuck bottles all over the trunk, put some, some, some out-of-season holiday lights. Let's put it that way. So anyway, if you like bottle trees, if you like uh, garden accessories, you like to have a little bit of fun, send me some pictures. I love to share with people who are sort of feel like it's okay to color outside the lines. Now, sometimes we can't help it. Uh, speaking of which, I would like to, to mention again, and I'm going to do this several times, that the Mississippi 
uh, excuse me, University Press of Mississippi has, uh, has it, it, we've got a contract to do a book on Dr. Dirt and the other kind of folks who, who are called determined independent gardeners who love to grow all sorts of plants. We hold our heads up high because they don't always fit in with what the neighbors think it should look like. But we grow stuff we love. We know the, we love the stories. We love the, the, the season, the smells, all the sense. And we tend to over-accessorize. And if you knew Dr. Dirt, if you knew Leon Goldsbeard from Edwards, particularly if you got a plant from him, shoot me an email. We'd like to, to put as much about that as we can in this, this uh, lovely little book that's going to come out for the University of Press of Mississippi. Again, anything along those lines, shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org, and we will take it from there. Uh, we've got the lines open right now. If you'd like to give me a call, it's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. I'd be glad to talk with you about anything that's going on garden-wise. Um, one of the other emails that I, I, I got was from Renee Robeson. Uh, she says she has a compost pile that has kitchen scraps as well as leaves from her live oak trees, and she was told that you can't use this compost in her vegetable garden because the oak tree leaves will prevent vegetables from forming on the plants. Is this true? I mean, this is where I want to just smack my head. Where do people come up with these stupid ideas that you can't put leaves in a compost pile? I mean, any kind of leaf, magnolia leaves and pine leaves, pine needles tend to be kind of waxy. They take longer to break down, but it's not a big deal. Anything that will decompose can go into a compost pile. I've heard people say you can't put meat in a compost pile. Folks, I put a raccoon in mine one fall. In my next spring, it was just compost. There were some teeth and bones, but it's mostly compost. But anything that will decompose will work in a compost bin. You might need to bury it a little bit deeper if you're worried about smells and stuff. But the only thing I do not put in my compost pile is broken glass because it'll come back on me later. But if it'll break down, it'll do fine. There's no problem whatsoever in using oak tree leaves in your compost. If you want them to break down a little bit more quickly, run them through the lawnmower, shred or something, break them up into, into smaller bits. Throw some grass clippings in with it or a little bit of natural nitrogen fertilizer, some cottonseed meal or something. Maybe throw a shovel full of dirt on top to inoculate it with the wonderful bacteria and the, the fungi, and then the worms will take it from there. Anything that will decompose makes a suitable compost, and it's not going to cause problems in your garden. So uh, anyway, if you've got some thoughts along those lines or some questions or some anecdotes to share, shoot, give us a call. Toll free, 1-877-MPB-RING. Uh, by the way, I put a lot of, if, if you have a lot of kitchen scraps, um, you, you, it, it's always good if you got moist stuff or green stuff to mix it with a little brown stuff. So tree leaves, shredded cardboard, newspaper, those kind of things, they work fine. Even weeds will work in a compost. And somebody said, don't put weeds in your compost because then you put weeds back in your garden. I'm thinking, <laughs> I've already got the weeds in my garden. So I just run them through there and I don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal, folks. I've got degrees on top of degrees. I've written all these books. And I can tell you, there's a lot of stuff out there that people just simply make up. And I'm trying to break it down into what's really the bottom line here. And uh, not that big a deal. Hey, let's slide up to the Delta, to Greenwood. Hey, Bill, what's going on in LaFleur County? Oh, howdy, Phil. Not too much. Not too much. 
uh, enjoying some cool weather like you uh, uh, were having that weather in England, real cool at night. Boy, it was cool. Uh, it was cool. Night. Seven degrees. <laughs> it's 67 degrees. You know, it's so funny because it cools down in Mississippi hotter than it gets up to in the daytime in, in England. But anyway, what you got going on? What's up, man? Uh, I've been thinking about a pawpaw tree. Uh, do you have a pawpaw tree? I was raised with a pawpaw tree over in Indianola, just a few miles oh, west really? of you. My great-grandma, they had all these oh. things. We had, and pawpaws are native all over the southeast. Oh, well, I want to know where I could get one. Uh, is there any more growing in your yard where I could get me a little sapling, or are they all gone? Well, it's it's been a long time since I've been up there. You know, since since my folks are gone, I haven't been up there in a long, long time. But pawpaws are, are again, they're native. They're all up and down most of the rivers. You don't see as many in the delta now because we cut most everything we could down to farm with. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a place in, in Jackson, there's a garden center that specializes in fruit trees. And I think they got a few pawpaws, but you can also get them named varieties, different variety of the pawpaws, just like different types of, 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 uh, of tomatoes and peppers, uh, some that produce better than others. And you can get them in uh, all sorts of places online. Okay, well, good. And another so, thing that I... I, I wanted to grow, and I bought a bunch of them. I wasted so much money. Uh, Red Hot Poker. Uh, yeah. Have you ever tried growing one of those things? <laughs> I have. I have. Uh, matter of fact, it's sort of a it's a fairly popular perennial in a lot of places. The problem we have with Red Hot Poker, which the Latin name starts with K-N-I, Nymphophia, Red Hot Poker or, or, or Torch Plant, one of the problems they have is they re- they're native to dry areas, and if you put it out in flat dirt in the delta, it's going to rot from too much rain. So you need to put yeah. it up on a on a little mound or in a raised bed or something because it really needs extra drainage. It's a cool plant, but it just it doesn't like the rainfall we get if you got a flat yard. Yeah, well, it was this woman that had one here years ago, and man, I don't know what she was doing, but it was beautiful. She had maybe three or four. But the trouble is, people kept coming by and stealing them at night, and from the thing she didn't have no more left, and then she died. So, well, <laughs> well, you know, that's that's what fences fine. are for. You know, when I was a kid, everybody had a fenced-in yard. Now we don't. But anyway, the big thing with the red hot poker, they they need a little bit extra drainage because of all the rainfall we get. Yeah. You know, that made me feel real bad because I had a beautiful plant like that, and someone came along and stole it. And yep, uh, I never yep. had another plant, you know, like that again. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's what that's what slingshots are for. <laughs> anyway, good luck on that, Bill. Appreciate you, gun. Good luck on the paw. Good luck on the paw, paw. All righty, folks. I'm horticulturist Phil Rushing. If you're not familiar with paw paws and mayhaws, those are native fruit plants. Paw paws grow typically. They grow in any kind of yard, but they're native along bottomlands, all the way up in the Ohio River Valley, all the way all over Mississippi. They're unusual plants. They got maroon flowers, and they're pollinated by I think it's either beetles or flies. I'm not sure, but anyway, they're great plants. And whether they produce fruit or not, they're still good-looking plants in the yard with big old leaves. Anyway, we're gonna take a quick break. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing. You're listening to the uh, Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Our call screener, uh, what we call the phone greeter, is Liz Gill. And uh, my producer is awesome, Java Chapman. We'll be back, hopefully, with some phone calls from you right after this. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Okie doke, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fellow rushing. By the way, uh, we got a call earlier from Wade from Natchez. He got had a bunch of pine straw brought in, had a bunch of weeds in it. He sent me a picture of it. And Wade, if you're listening, I'll send you an email. I've had this same weed in my yard, and I cannot remember what it is. It's got tiny little flowers. They're not even noticeable. and make jillions of seeds. Anyway, this plant, if you'll keep after it, you know, either pull them or hit them with a string trim or something like that, you will, you'll kill the individual plants, but you'll have to peter the seeds out because they make a jillion of them. I can't remember the name of it. I've got it in my yard. I'm looking right at it. It made me grin as soon as I saw it because I know what you're after. Uh, and also, I got, got an email uh, from uh, James Johnston, uh, who's, who uh, planted a bunch of seeds from butterflies last year, and he had a plant that survived and keeps coming back and wants to know what it is. This is a type of milkweed called tropical milkweed. It's got a funny name, um, Curasavica. It's, it's, um, anyway, it's tropical milkweed, and it's a hardy perennial unless we have a really hard winter. Root seeds from cutting. It is the longest blooming, best garden quality type of Asclepius or butterfly weed we have. It's a great plant for for uh, for monarch butterflies it is a pretty plant too anyway uh, appreciate those i'm gonna send emails uh, soon i get off the air to in case you're not listening anymore i'll slide up to tupelo and talk with gary good morning sir good morning how are you doing today fine what's going on i'm uh, just trying to find out some answers about some questions i've got in my head so i got three okay. questions two two parts go to the same subject watermelons seedless What's the procedure and how uh, hard it is to grow what's in the watermelon? Well, you can, you, you, know, you have to, believe it or not, you buy seeds for seedless watermelon. <laughs> that sounds, sounds well, kind of funny. But here, here's the deal, though. They're, they're like mules. You know, they have to cross two different melons to get the seed for a seedless melon. But because it doesn't make its own seed, you got to buy the seeds again next year. It's just like a mule. You know, you cross two things that come up with something that won't reproduce on its own. you got to keep going back to the same parents. So once you plant seedless watermelon, you got there ain't no seeds to save. But uh, it's a mule. Completely. But you can buy the seedless watermelon seed, like maybe at Walmart or around places like that? Yeah, I don't know if Walmart's got it, but any place online, there's several heirloom pl- places that they got seedless melons. And uh, this, they'll have tiny little what look like seeds, but they're not hard seeds. You can yes. eat them is what I'm saying. Okay. Well, my second part of the same subject is yellow meaty watermelons. Uh, yeah. They, they sell a seed for those, don't they? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, matter of fact, there, there's, and to me, they're a little bit sweeter. I've been to several yeah. watermelon festivals, and there's a lot of different kinds. There's little icebox melons that are, you know, you, they're not much bigger than a cantaloupe. One of my favorites, you want to try growing an interesting watermelon, look for the one called Moon and Stars. Moon and Stars is a great, great old-fashioned melon. It's sweet, and the, the rinds make the best watermelon rind preserves you ever put in your mouth. But uh, anyway, if you'll uh, shoot me an email, I'll send you a couple of places specialized in really interesting heirloom melons, including a place over in North Carolina that specializes in southern heirlooms. Okay, where's your, what's your email? Garden at mpbonline.org. How about that? 
All righty. Now let's go up to Memphis now and talk with Greg. Hey, Greg, good morning, sir. Good morning, Felder. How are you? Well, I'm fine. What's going on? Well, I've got a, a raised bed at the back of my property, a four by eight, and um, I am constantly having problems with nematodes in the dirt. I've, yeah. plant, I've planted, you know, I get four tomato plants in there and I like to raise cucumbers. And just as uh, they start getting a little taller and producing fruit, the plants die. And I, I've soaked that dirt this spring numerous times with a nematode medicine and I'm you know, they're already their cucumbers are just wilting, and I noticed nodules on the roots again. Is there anything yeah. I can do? Well, a couple of things. Keep in mind that the nematode things don't really work as well unless the nematodes are really, really active, and they're not active till the soil warms up. And we had a really cold, wet spring for a long time. So if you can't use those things, it's better to wait until, you know, after the soil warms up. Uh, basically, you can also solarize it. You know, you can cover the air, you know, till it up, water it to make sure the moisture, cover it with clear plastic and the sun will shine through there and superheat the soil and kill most of the nematodes enough for you to get a pretty decent crop real quick. That helps oh. a lot. Uh, but there's not any, there's no way to completely get rid of them. It's like getting rid of fleas and and mosquitoes. You can get rid of most of them, but more is just going to come back. So the main thing is try to do what you can to get a crop as quick as you can and then repeat it or else simply start growing stuff in containers. Uh, oh. And there are some there are some nematode-resistant varieties of, to, of, uh, of tomatoes. I don't know about peppers and beans and stuff, but, but look, look for nematode-resistant varieties. Think about solarizing the soil in between crops. You can do that right now and then plant for a fall harvest, and that'll help. Oh. Uh, you may have heard that marigolds will repel nematodes, but only if they've, they've grown one year and you till them into the dirt, there's an oil in the marigolds that, that uh, deters nematodes. But you got to till oh. them under as a cover crop. I see. So is, is it safe then to, uh, since the tomatoes are growing right nice right now, to put some plastic over it and heat the soil? Oh, no, 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 no. This, this, the clear plastic, it's, it's like a... It's like a, a car with the windows rolled up. The, the sun goes through it, it heats it up, and then it superheats and steams. It'll kill just about everything in there. So you're going to have to... Anyway, shoot, I keep saying shoot me an email, but that's the easiest way to get into more detail about it. But anyway, I hope you have a good time with that um, because you, you need to settle in for the long run and be cheerful about it because there ain't much else you can do. Hey, the Gestalt Garden is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Me and Java Chapman and Liz Gill and all the other folks at MPB appreciate the opportunity to spend an hour with you every week talking about gardening. I've been your host, Felder Rushing. Uh, next week, we're going to have some more cheesy music, some more emails, some few more things going on. But if you get a chance this weekend, take a kid to a farmer's market or a garden center and show them how to do what we do best, and that's get dirty. See you all next week.